This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So this morning, we are concluding a sermon series that we started uh, two weeks ago. So this is the third Sunday uh, called Holy in All Manner of Conversation. And it is a a sermon series based on a verse uh, from 1 Peter. Uh, The verse comes from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, when Peter is instructing uh, his disciples uh, what it means to live a holy life, uh, what it means to live a life where we imitate Jesus and are becoming more like Jesus uh, in all that we do. And as Peter's instructing them, he begins uh, early on in that letter uh, with this verse, when he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Some translations will translate that to to be holy in all manner of conduct. Uh, But part of the reason uh, that uh, that the King James and while we're focusing on conversation is that one of the things that Peter is emphasizing for his disciples is that holiness uh, should exist in how we relate to each other. It's important for us to pay attention to how we are in a relationship and in communication, uh, in conversation uh, with one another uh, during this time, during this season, as we journey towards Jesus uh, together. As John pulled up a second ago, we're using a book uh, called uh, Crucial Conversations. Uh, and it, along with scripture, this has served as a lens for, lens for us uh, to understand uh, not just what it means for us uh, to love each other or to communicate well uh, when everyone's getting along, uh, when things are going well. I mean, Jesus even says that like, if you love someone who loves you well or you're communicating with somebody who communicates with you well, like, um, that's the easy part. <laughs> uh, the hard part is when you're in relationship and in conversation and trying to love uh, each other uh, in times of disagreement. And the lens that Crucial Conversations offers us is a lens uh, through these three, uh, three characteristics of what a crucial conversation is, which is a conversation where uh, stakes are high, uh, where emotions are strong, and where opinions uh, vary. Uh, when stakes are high, uh, when emotions are strong, and when opinions vary. So when we have these conversations where, where these three things are present, uh, we call them crucial conversations. And, and I've been offering uh, uh, two questions that I hope are shaping uh, your imagination throughout this series, and the questions are simply this. One is when we're in these crucial conversations, do all of the ways that you communicate uh, bring glory to God? And do all the ways you communicate demonstrate a love for each other? Do all the ways you communicate bring glory to God? And do all the ways that you communicate uh, demonstrate a love for each other? And I believe that if we lay this lens across our own conversations, particularly in times uh, when we disagree, uh, this will allow us to to approach holiness and how we interact and how we converse and how we're in dialogue um, with each other. And so what we've done for the last three weeks is we've looked at these uh, conversations in Scripture uh, that have been crucial. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus uh, having a crucial conversation uh, with the community around him. Uh, last week, we looked at Jesus uh, having a crucial conversation with the devil, and we uh, said you know, that was very crucial. The stakes were high, the opinions certainly varied, and emotions were strong. Uh, this week, we're going to look at a crucial conversation happening uh, in the life of the church. And so I'm going to invite you to flip with me uh, to Acts chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at a, a conversation that's happening in Jerusalem 
uh, in, in what many call the, the first big meeting, the first conference of the church. Uh, it's the Council of Jerusalem. As God's people are coming together uh, to figure out something about their body and what it means uh, to be the church in that place. And so we're going to be reading uh, Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 5. So I invite you to hear this word uh, about the early church. It says, Then certain individuals uh, came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. As they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. Uh, This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in the early church, uh, they gathered for a crucial conversation. Uh, In this case, the stakes uh, were very high. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had been journeying uh, across the Middle East into Europe uh, to places where uh, Gentiles or non-Jewish people were coming to know faith. They were coming to follow Jesus. Judeans, which are people from uh, the community of Israel, were, were going to these places and they were visiting and they were teaching that uh, if they are to become fully Christian, uh, they must first be circumcised, uh, which was a, a stumbling block for many in that community. And so Paul and Barnabas saw this conversation, this, this interaction, that uh, they believed people that were currently outside the community of God, outside of Israel, that their very salvation and inclusion in that body uh, was at stake. And so they were advocating for, uh, for the ability for them to enter the kingdom of God without first being circumcised. For the Judeans, the teachers, the Pharisees, as they saw this conversation, what they saw was at stake was whether their traditions and the way that they have taught the law of Moses uh, was applicable to all people and were applicable to those outside the community at that time. Emotions were strong. Acts chapter 15, verse 2 says, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, which I love the way they put that. It's like the most polite way to say they had big arguments, right? After they had no small dissension or no small debate, (laughs) which means they had a really large fight with them. After they had this big disagreement uh, with the Judeans, uh, they went to Jerusalem uh, to have this conversation again. So emotions were strong. And opinions varied. As they went to that place, they had a conversation with the leaders of the church, uh, Peter and those around them, to decide kind of what do we do with this? How do we process this? How do we move forward as a church with this disagreement, uh, with this strong emotion, with what's happening in front of us, and be faithful to where God might be calling us? This was a very crucial 
conversation. Now, the authors of uh, the book, Crucial Conversations, say that anytime we enter into these spaces, uh, there's a couple things that happen. It's more than just we see or observe an action and then we respond to it. You know, there, there's something that happens, there's, you know, somebody does something to you, maybe they, they look at you funny and then you try to figure out how you're going to respond to them, right? But there's something in between, and what they say, John, I think we have a graphic there. They say that we see and hear what happens, and before we act, before we get to a place where we're responding, there's something that happens in between. Uh, the first is that we tell a story. We, we interpret whatever happens, whatever action was taken uh, in that space. And when we interpret those things, uh, then we feel something. Uh, emotion rises up in us. And so uh, we see an action. Uh, someone looks at you funny. Uh, you interpret. Uh, you think that they think less than you or whatever it may be. And then you feel anger or dissension, and then you, you lash back out of them. Right? This happens with siblings all the time. But we, we, we see and hear some action. We place value on it through our stories, and then we respond. Well, let me give you an example. Uh, one thing that I do with premarital and premarital counseling is I have uh, this conversation with couples all the time. And I tell, I tell couples as they're uh, entering into marriage and talking about how they communicate that, that how we communicate with each other is crucial. And we're going to have times in our relationships uh, where you're going to disagree. I, I promise you that. And so I tell them a story uh, about a young couple uh, who had been married for a year and, and both spouses uh, wanted to celebrate the other one uh, and have, a, like, have some celebration, some way to tell them how much they love them uh, after the first year. They want to have an anniversary celebration. Uh, but they'd had a really hard year. Uh, the first year of marriage was not an easy one. Uh, they, they were struggling with money. They, they didn't have a lot to spend on each other. They, uh, they had had hard times as they navigated what it meant uh, to be in that relationship. But both valued so deeply to make sure the other one knew that they were loved valued and celebrated. And so one of the spouses, the day before their anniversary, uh, came home early. They took a half day of work and came home and began to prepare a meal for their other spouse. Uh, they cleaned the apartment that they lived in. Uh, they set the table with white tablecloths and, and put up candles, and they cooked their favorite meal, hoping that when they got home from work that day, uh, that that person would be surprised and know just how much they were loved uh, even after that first hard year. Uh, not knowing this was happening, uh, the other spouse uh, was at work. This other spouse also wanted to, uh, to celebrate their spouse and make sure they knew uh, that they were beloved. And so uh, they uh, knew that, that they wanted to go to a show together. And while they didn't have very much money, they wanted to buy tickets. And the show was happening uh, on their anniversary the next night. And they found an opportunity to stay late that night. Because if they worked three hours later, they could make enough in overtime and time and a half to pay for those tickets uh, to go together to the show on their anniversary. At 5.30, when the spouse that was working was supposed to get home, the spouse that was waiting was anticipating what it would mean uh, to celebrate them and to surprise them with this great gift. But they didn't come home at 5.30. They didn't come home at 6 or 6.30 or 7. It wasn't until 8.30 that they came home that evening because they had been working late uh, to pay for the tickets they were going to give them as a surprise uh, to their spouse. And so as I tell the story to couples, I say, I want you to imagine what the spouse at home was thinking in those three hours. Imagine what they were feeling. Imagine 
uh, how they interpreted uh, what was happening. And if you can imagine, you can imagine how that conversation went in their head, right? The conversation may have gone something like, um, I'm so excited that they could come home and I could celebrate with them. And then an hour later, it's, I can't believe that they're not here so I can celebrate them. Right? Or I can't believe that they're not honoring the work that I've done for them, that, they're not, that they don't value me as much as they value their work. Clearly, this year has been harder for them than I have ever imagined. And you begin to tell this narrative and, and tell this story, and they're interpreting these actions so by the time their spouse walks in the door at 8.30, uh, what happens? Some of you are giggling. You know what happens. <laughs> right? It's not all rainbows and roses. In fact, we're not sure the roses are still there anymore. It's something else happens, right? Anger happens and disappointment happens and, and a reaction happens where perhaps, you know, as they walk in, the response is, tables, food's on the table, it's cold, enjoy, you know, storm off, right? Have you, any of you experienced that or something like that? Now imagine the reaction of the one walking in the door. What was going through their mind is they had worked three hours that day extra to, to earn these monies, tickets in hand, because they had earned enough to pay for the show that next night. When they walk in, prepare to surprise this spouse. Surprise them with this great gift, and, and instead of a reception of, hey, I loved you, I missed you, I can't believe we're going to do this together, they get the other reaction. What goes through their mind? What goes through their, uh, their imagination as they interpret that action, that story? They try to make sense of what's going on before them. They, same sort of questions. I can't believe that they don't value the fact that I worked so hard for this relationship. I can't believe that they would not see how much effort I'm putting in to celebrate them when we've had such a hard year. I can't believe they don't know the depth of love that I have for them. Can you see how two actions without conversation, without communication can lead to responses that don't move either one towards what they desire. Both of their desire, their fundamental desire, was to make sure the other person knew how much they were loved and celebrated and how they wanted to spend the rest of their lives together even after a difficult year. And yet, because of that gap in communication, that very essence was threatened. Now, I want to go back to Acts chapter 15. I will tell you that when you hear this story from Acts 15, I know when I do, I already start to interpret the actions that are taking place there. I have a story. I have a narrative in my mind about what's happening in the, the, the eyes of the Pharisees and the church, what's happening in the eyes of Paul and Barnabas. And when we read it, we put value statements on all that's happening there. We have already begun to assess uh, what's at stake in that space. And so I want to play this out with us for a minute. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And they're simple questions, and I'm going to show me by raise of hands, kind of what your imagination might be. And the first one is this. Who are the bad guys uh, in this situation, in Acts 15? Who thinks the Pharisees are the bad guys in this situation? All right, y'all have to help me here. Like, all right, let's like back up. You, some of you know where I'm going, so you can back with me like three minutes, okay? Who thinks the Pharisees are the bad guys? Who thinks Paul and Barnabas are the bad guys in this situation? All right, next one, maybe a little harder. Who in this situation wants more people to fall in love with Jesus? Who think the Pharisees want more people to fall in love with Jesus in this passage? Who thinks Paul and Barnabas want more people to fall in love with Jesus? Right. Next one. Who takes the scriptures more seriously? 
Who think the Pharisees take the scriptures more seriously? Who think Paul and Barnabas take the scriptures more seriously? Okay, last one. Who wants the church to be more holy? Who think Paul and Barnabas want the church to be more holy? Who think the Pharisees want the church to be more holy? How we interpret their actions, the stories we tell, give a great lens for how we respond when these things happen. I will tell you, it's easy for us to look back on the Pharisees because of all the stories we hear in Scripture about them and, and see Jesus, the way that Jesus condemns them and, and, and their actions so often and see them as the bad guys in the story. And yet, the Pharisees, as many of you acknowledge when you're raising your hands, actually wanted a lot of the same things. They were simply trying to take Scripture seriously. They were simply uh, trying to help the church become more holy. They were, they were simply trying to love people in the way that they knew how to love. For some of you, you recognize that tension in yourselves, and I even saw some switch hands be like, oh yeah, that's totally how I think, yeah. And you see Paul and Barnabas wrestle with the same things. Paul and Barnabas are people that wanted to take the Scriptures seriously, are people who wanted to love more people, to invite them into the church, and people who wanted the church to be holy. But I'll tell you that the danger of how our narratives inform how we respond is that if we're not careful with the ways that we have holy conversations, if we're not careful with the ways that we have crucial conversations, the very thing that we all desire is at risk. For that married couple, if they could not figure out how to have that crucial conversation, the very thing they both wanted to demonstrate love for each other and to be on a lifelong journey married together, if they could not figure out how to do that, those two things were at risk. I will tell you in this very passage in Acts chapter 15, both things happen. In the beginning of Acts 15, you actually see them a wrestle with a very crucial conversation and they come to a conclusion and an outcome that could lead the church forward in a way that they might experience the fullness of what they believe God desired uh, for the church. But later on in this same chapter, when you flip to the very end and you see Paul and Barnabas trying to figure out what to do next, these two people who have been journeying together, have done life and mission and ministry together, they come to another crucial conversation that they cannot solve. And these two people who have seen lives change together, who have seen the world change because of their partnership, decide to go separate ways to break apart and to pursue that holiness differently. I will tell you that part of our task as God's church is to have crucial conversations in ways that allow us to pursue the things that hold us together, that lead us toward Christ, and that lead us to be a people who take seriously what we can do side by side for the gospel. What's at risk is that if we don't figure out how to do this well and in a holy and crucial way, the very thing that we long for, to be a people who are kingdom people who bring kingdom work to this world is at risk. And my prayer for our church is to be a church 
that figures this out, that figures out how to hold each other together, that figures out how to seek God together, and in seeking God that we might continue to journey side by side, pursuing the holiness of God and pursuing the kingdom of work that God has uniquely called by each of us and us collectively too. Next week, we'll start a new sermon series. And the sermon series is simply on the kingdom parables of God. Jesus tells stories about the kingdom of God. And as he leads his people, as Jesus tries to invite us, he invites us into a kingdom imagination. The kingdom of God was the most important thing for Jesus. And Jesus' heart and desire was for all of us to pursue the things of the kingdom, that when we do that well, when we pursue God's kingdom, as we'll pray in a little bit, that God's kingdom will be here on earth as it is in heaven. God will draw us to God's self, will fill us with God's sustenance, and send us into this world to continue to carry God's love, joy, peace, and hope to a world of darkness that desperately needs God's light. My prayer is we'd have the courage to be that kind of people. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have created each of us. You have called each of us to seek the things of your kingdom. You have called us to be a church that reaches out beyond our walls and beyond our borders to invite people in to experience your love, your grace, and your power. You've called us to be a church that, that loves boldly. You've called us to be a church that, that seeks your Holy Spirit in all that we do. Lord, give us the courage to seek you. Give us the courage to follow you. Give us the courage to run after the things that are uniquely yours so that when people see us in agreement and in disagreement, when they see us in wholeness and brokenness, when they see us as we pursue you and in sin and fallenness, Lord, that they would see you in all of those things because you are a God of grace. That as you draw us to you, you can draw us together and fill us to a place that we might bear witness to your love in this world. Lord, help us to be that kind of people this day and always. Amen.